You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible is Literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. You know, Richard, we get excited and we start ripping individualism and challenging individualism and trying to debunk individualism and the ideology of the individual in our culture. And while that's interesting, I can't imagine it would be more interesting to listen to us talk about individualism than it will be today to hear Father Paul talk about the flock versus the sheep. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, Father Paul. Good morning, good morning. So, Father Paul, flock and sheep. Well, this is (laughs) a very painful topic for me because I grew up in Western European civilization. And until even lately, three years ago, I was in Bethlehem and I had a very short paper, just half an hour. And a Dutch theologian went on a tirade of five minutes to insist that if the people were not there, then whom did God choose? So the assumption is always that there is something or someone there. And then God intervenes. And this is obviously the residue of nationalism. We are there. Nationalism rose against the empires of Europe. Everybody asserts their individualism. I have no problem with that as a fact. Obviously, I know and I realize that. But the trouble is that this is not the biblical approach. And you heard me so many times saying, the question is, what is the Bible saying without the about, about God, about the sheep? Once you have pronounced that word, its existence is already in your mind before you have heard scripture. So you ask scripture to tell you, about you. That's why I like students whose names do not exist in the Bible. (laughs) You were not there. And for me, you know, it's an ABC, and that's the trouble in the discussion. For the European, it's ABC, what the European thinks, and what the Bible is saying is an ABC. It's a reality. Remember, in my book, I stress the fact that the writers were talking about a real life in the Syrian desert, which is the life of the pastor with his flock or flocks, if he was rich and had many flocks. How does this work? Let me begin again with an aside where you would recognize a student of mine just by asking them, what came first, the chicken or the egg? And if the student immediately, without thinking a split second, says, Father Paul would say, the chicken, the chicken. And this is how the Bible proceeds. Chapter one, God does not create seeds out of which come the trees. He creates trees in which are seeds. Now, people tell me, but there are no buts. That's the statement. And the same thing applies to the reality of the family compared to the many individuals in that family, where the head of the family before the family is there is already called 
Ab Beit, he is the father of the house. And then the children come into this household. <laughs> they do not form the household. Okay, so I'm asking my hearers to make the effort to follow this and not tell me how is it possible, but we all know. No, the Bible is saying things always from the perspective of shepherdism. And it's no happenstance, remember my classic word, it's no happenstance that the first mention of sheep is in the expression, Abel was a shepherd of flock. And this is repeated about Abraham and then Moses and then David and so on. Very important. One shepherd, not sheep, but a flock. If one shepherd sheep that are lost, then there is no more flock. Which brings me to say that in the beginning is the flock and then you count the sheep in this flock. This is so important that in my book, which is very dense, I took time, pages, to explain to the people that a sheep on its own is already wandering. Remember, my father was a wandering Aramean. But in Hebrew, the original is not wandering because the word wander means to wander through Minneapolis and turn around and see. And, no, it's obed unto extinction, unto destruction, unto oblivion. Because a sheep on its own, even if it exists, it is bound to non-existence. No one would mention that sheep. He has to be part of a flock to survive until that sheep dies. Meaning that the pastor comes not only before the sheep, the pastor comes before the flock. He makes the flock. He creates the flock the way God creates everything in Genesis 1. There is no reality sheep except as a member of a flock. That's the way things are in the wilderness. Suppose someone is there, he's trained to be a shepherd and does not have any sheep and obviously not any flock, and suddenly he is assigned a flock. But this flock he has to maintain as a flock, not as individual sheep. That's why the father is not the father of children, and obviously the mother is not the mother of children, but he is the ab bait the father of the household, the totality, this reality as a totality. And this is so important that when we go to the New Testament and we speak about the church, and here again in the West, it's always individuals, I'm a member of the church. No, there is the church first, which is a flock, as Paul says in his address to the leaders of Ephesus. So that is something my hearers here in the West and also in the East, because I had the same trouble with my students at Balaman. You know, they get involved with the mentality of the city. And that is the reality. And flock is all over the place. Obviously, the translations take RSV. It drove me crazy, you know. They decide when to translate the original zone into sheep and sometimes in flock. Ultimately, in Psalms, you don't hear the difference. But we have a word for individual sheep, which, by the way, is interesting 
because in the English language, sheep does not have a plural form. When you say the sheep, you don't know until you hear the verb whether you're talking about one sheep or the sheep. Interesting. So my hearers, whose language is obviously English, please remember that. When you hear the sheep, you don't know until you hear the rest of the sentence. Whereas in Hebrew, we have a word, kebes, and even the feminine kipsa, and it's translated either he lamb or she lamb. and so, on. so it's interesting that we have these words and they are used whenever the author wants to use them. See, in Isaiah 53, we have flock, son, we have kebes, and we have even you, Rahel, Rachel, which is a you, very important, but I don't want for the time being to go in this aside unless it is brought up. Let me continue on the path of the flock and the sheep. There is no sheep, whether in the plural all the singular, except within that reality that is created by the shepherd, that is made as a reality where individual sheep can survive, which is the totality of the flock, the flock, that word, sown. And this is how the Bible proceeds, hence the importance of, which I mentioned on another podcast, but let's revisit because everything is interrelated. That is the difficulty with someone coming to scripture. One cannot say, I want to write a paper about womanhood. First of all, in the Bible, there are no hoods nor ships. There is a text, and here in the text, a woman does not become mother until she brings forth a living baby. Then she becomes the mother of, and I discussed this, we can take another podcast if you want, it's so important, the mother of someone. So the priority lies in the reality of the matter, not how we imagine it. And again, uh, you know, I hit always at Plato. I mean, he really made the people believe that they exist. I mean, when you exist eternally, then your mother and father do not produce you. They produce you as a human being. But you exist already before. And that's why the fathers of the church got in trouble and got us in trouble in discussing what happens at the conception is the first being. When does the soul that already exists meet the body? I mean, it's more than ridiculous. In my book, it is disgusting. You're not taking into consideration the reality of the matter. So one has to make this effort. Otherwise, one will be in trouble, and we all are when we get to not only the Old Testament, also the New Testament, actually more so the New Testament, where you have the total authority of the parent, the father. I mean, all you have to do is to hear twice the letters of Paul. But that is very important because it explains to us that Paul ultimately is not hitting on the women and the children and the slaves. That's easy <laughs> to hit them. He hits on the boss and he addresses the pateres and you fathers. Remember that you have one father and you lords. Remember that you have a lord. So what Paul does at this point, he makes the boss, the pastor, 
under the authority of the one pastor. To understand that, one again has to appeal to shepherdism. As in all societies, you have a double level of being a shepherd. You could be a shepherd who is the owner of the flock and a shepherd who's not the owner. Let me go directly to the Roman family. Well, you have the pater familias and you have the economos. The economos is the boss, practically. But he has a boss. And an owner of many flocks could assign different shepherds to take care of the individual flocks. But remember what is happening here. Those assignees are shepherds. And then if you have someone who is poorer and he himself is the shepherd of his flock, then he is the owner and the shepherd. So we have to be very careful here and not bring this ownership to differentiate functionally. In other words, the pater familias is the boss of the economos, but functionally he is no more shepherd than the economos is shepherd in his absence. They both function in the same way. And that is the greatness of the epistle of Paul, the pastoral epistles, where he calls the bishop as dealing with the household of God. And then he has to shepherd them, not as his own household. He trains himself in his household, but when he is shepherding, he is shepherding the flock of God really the address of Paul to the leaders of the Church of Ephesus. And this is how one has to proceed in understanding that there is no place for individualism, even mentally. What I'm trying to say that if you speak with people living in the wilderness, they will understand readily. They will have no problem. They will say, why are you stressing all that? We all know that that an individual sheep exists as a member of a flock. The flock is not a gathering of sheep. Can you imagine there are 100 sheep without a shepherd in the wilderness? They are gone, and thus they do not exist. You know how it is. It is as though they have never existed. We're not arguing whether someone took a picture of them, because I can show you that this picture was taken 48 hours ago. Where is this reality? So in the beginning is, how shall I say, the flock as a reality. And within the flock as a reality, the individual sheep, or if you like, sheeps, are a reality. And thus, creating and choosing, in the case of God, are equal. God posits the reality of Israel. He does not gather two dozens of Jews that were already there and he makes them his people. But this is how we like to think, especially the Christians, because they came later and they want to say that somehow we were in the mind of God since eternity. You know how the Presbyterians after John Calvin misconstrue the text about God already choosing and predestination and they get in trouble and, you know, it's non-ending, it's non-ending and you can have symposia on that. It's nice as symposia, but it doesn't help me in my effort to understand what scripture is saying. 
And this comes really to the highest level. It comes to my mind because I'm working on it. I'm preparing a commentary on Ephesians where really you have the ecclesia as the reality in which God is interested. And in Ephesus, more than any other letter, it is put on the level of the empire. It is as though God is an emperor, not a pater familias only. And this is where the theologians misconstrue that, especially the Orthodox, where they go in the one holy Catholic, the total church, the ecumenical church, the imperial church. No, it's just a projection of the reality of the Roman house into the empire. Remember, in the beginning, there was no emperor, but there was Roman society. So we have to be careful and watch out for this universal church, as we like to call it. Only God is the pater familias of the universal church. But we individually are shepherds of our flock to which we have been assigned. And that is very serious to remember in our dealings. And then obviously the pastor, I like this name for the priest or the minister or the bishop, is to pastor his, and in traditions where you have women as pastors, her flock to which he or she has been assigned, which means that you have a part of the flock the total flock of God, or if you like, flocks, but you know, you never have this plural. And it's very serious. One is responsible to one's assignment. And it becomes a problem when suddenly you don't like your assignment. So take, for instance, a priest is, if he's unhappy or the bishop is unhappy, well, we'll move him to another flock. Well, in the past, it was not so. Not only the bishop, but also the priest was ordained in the flock where he is supposed to act as a pastor. And in the Middle East, at least in the past, the pastor stays there until the pastor dies. We have to revisit these original traditions because they were impacted by the scriptural text and the scriptural society. It is so. And thus, one has to be very careful not to give too much importance to individualism, and I would like to wrap up by pointing out the case of the one who was the medium for God to create and preserve his flock, the so-called suffering servant of Isaiah. And I'm going to tell you immediately why we love to individualize that. The Jesus, Jesus, we want to go to a certain person, because ultimately here all the presentations end up by reflecting on oneself. How often you heard yourself saying, and we, or I, it doesn't matter, have to be like Jesus. No, you cannot be. This is a fictional character of someone who is at the same time, and you will read this in more detail in my book, is referred to as Cabus and also as Rahel, as a you. It is in his total obedience that the Islam became a you, was made into a you. And this is how one understands the three last verses of this passage. Because of him, the other was made righteous. And again, it's very hard for us because we like 
to look into history and reality to find ourselves. And I would like to end on this level. Let's be practical. When you say, you know, all these, what do you call it, photos, albums of the year of 54, and you look, no one is going to convince me that one is not looking for oneself or for one's sweetheart, (laughs) one of the two. You're not interested in the other pictures. I mean, you show that, oh, I remember this and that, but you're really zeroing in to see that you are one of those, because this is your proof that you are part of those. But that is not true, because the fact that you were part of this class is a fact in the past. Either it is or it is not. The picture can assert that, but it cannot prove it, especially nowadays with our technology you can do anything so let's try to make the effort i don't want to go more into the pastoral importance of that because i want to keep it on that technical level we have to broach the matter from the perspective of the reality that was is and shall ever be at hand in shepherd society otherwise We're not listening to scriptures. We are just looking for texts to assert our individualism. The passage that comes to mind right away from John, where Jesus talks about the voice of the shepherd and the sheep recognizing the voice of the shepherd, how does that image of the voice fit in with this creation of the flock, as you describe it? It's an essential part. Obviously, that text is on my mind. It's a central part of my book. When you go to the Middle East, I remember Archbishop Benjamin of the West of the OCA always introduces me as someone who explained to him that the shepherd in the Bible is not a Scottish shepherd because he is Scott. (laughs) And I talk about this in my book, that an individual sheep can survive in Scotland. You have rivers and you have trees and so on. There is no real wilderness. That's why the Scottish shepherd walks behind his flock, because the sheep can scatter easily with no problem. But go to the Middle East until now. This is one of the things I do when I have visitors. I take them on a trip in the mountains, and Lebanon is not a full wilderness. But you can see it in the small wildernesses of the mountains, where the shepherd goes ahead of the sheep, exactly as it is mentioned in John. And now and then, and people were amazed. I had once a Swiss friend who wanted to see it. He was a pastor, Protestant pastor. And he could see it and hear it, that the shepherd would just move at a certain pace. And now and then, without looking backwards, he emits a sound or something of the kind. And the sheep would hear that and they would follow. It's so amazing. Lately, I was in Wichita and I had lunch with Bishop Basil. And he was at Balaman for over a year. And he mentioned to the two other priests who were there with us in lunch, he said, you know, I saw this with my own eyes, that at the end of the day, the sheep would come and each of the shepherds will stand at the entrance of the fold, the fold of those sheep whose shepherd he was. And he would emit a sound. And I'm quoting Bishop Basil. I was amazed how the individual sheep would recognize the voice of their shepherd and go into that gate 
In other words, he saw the reality of John chapter 10. Remember what I say in my book that the power of scripture is that although it's a hyperbole, it's a made up, but the matrix of the story is a reality at hand. It's Plato who made up the soul, not the writers of the Bible that made up this understanding of the flock. That would be my answer to your question. It is so hard to explain to European. That's why I stress the background of the ancient Near East and the Old Testament and the Roman society background in the New Testament. It's of the essence. One has to explain it to the people. You have a big group of sheep and each shepherd can call its own sheep and that's when the sheep will separate into their respective flocks. So which flock you belong to is defined by which voice you listen to. Exactly. It is defined by the voice. And here I took a long time and I would wish my hearers would read my commentary on Jeremiah. He is the one who stresses in a unique way. He parallels the law with God's voice. Remember that disturbing passage of Jeremiah chapter 7. In the wilderness, I did not ask you to obey this and that commandment. Immediate reaction is to say, what is he talking about? He did for four full books. But then the text continues. I asked you to obey my voice. So it's not the commandment. It is the commandment out of the mouth of God. One has to be very careful. Remember, I was brought up in the Catholic tradition at school and the Catholic Church, at least traditionally, had these two sets of commandments, the commandments of God, the Ten and the Seven Commandments of the Church. Now, I know the Orthodox and the Protestants laugh and make fun of that as though themselves they do not have a set of commandments for themselves. Whether you call them so or not, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you are creating another reality there is god's church and then your church as god's church and that is scripture it is not allowed if it is allowed then god would not be able to realize what he said to realize in isaiah 53 and that's in paul the important is not so much the teacher but the teaching remember what he says to timothy by continuing the teaching, you save yourself and your flock. But again, you know, you see how we have an avalanche of texts that come to mind when we begin from the reality of the scriptural text. And I'm very appreciative of the fact that your question was taken from a passage in scripture. And not as I hear people, oh, I remember when I grew up in Kansas and I used to, it's not going to help me. Kansas is not the Syrian wilderness. And that's the way it is. We have, and I appeal to this reality, my students know that. Perhaps the simplest way to make this reality real in the mind of the hearers in the West is to speak about a classroom. Actually, in the original meaning, here again, not my classroom and your classroom. Class, you know how teacher addresses either students, sheep, or class, the totality. But it does not mean the totality the way we would want it to be, especially if we were absent. <laughs> when I grew up, the teacher takes absences. 
but he doesn't wait for a vote is the class here no the class is here if there is only one student and he is in the class if there is no one then there is no class but one two twelve twenty four does not make a difference meaning that it is the teacher that makes the class can you imagine if all 40 students are there and the teacher is not there well i know you know in the west people love to philosophize as i used to do when i was teenager and my mother would tell me stop philosophizing nadim but the class is here where is the teacher i mean the people in the old east would be cracking with laughter what do you mean the class is here the class is bound it's a reality that is bound to the teacher it's a topic really central i know my hearers were waiting for me to say of the essence but i hate the word essence it is axial central it is the shepherd that makes the flock it is the teacher that makes the class now perhaps you and richard should take an aside on your podcast the teacher and the class and the students and parallel these with the shepherd the flock the sheep and you have it in its technicality not as some students wish it to be technically even the language forces you to say when you are absent you don't say the class did not take place you say i was absent from the class you see how language is very important because it is what it is you speak out of a reality and then great authors create new words expressions because they create new realities but we like writers writers are like philosophers except for the scripture writers in my view obviously okay there is a reality you speak out of so hopefully the hearers will have captured the entire message in other words they need to make the effort to be formatted not to judge this presentation they could judge it later when they are more knowledgeable of scripture but for the time being make the effort to be formatted the more people project their imaginary existence into the individual sheep the more lost they are in the sense of the biblical metaphor the lost sheep exactly if one has to choose i used to choose other texts but after i wrote this book one should keep in mind my father was an aramean unto extinction not your first cousin your father had he died before finding his sweetheart you the speaker would not have been it parallels totally the story of humanity with the flood had the flood not been rescinded by god you and i would not have been talking today can you imagine that this is the basis of the statement of trust in god that is asked you have to say my father was an aramean unto extinction and that cannot work except against the background of sheep and flock in the syrian wilderness i feel a bumper sticker coming on father paul <laughs> yeah and remember 
you may not say, well, let's make it more up to date. The West drives me crazy with this up to date. This, my friends, for us Minnesotans would sound, my father was a wandering Minnesotan. No, it does not work. It has to be Aramean. That's why Paul forced the Corinthians to become part of the story of Israel and in this sense part of Israel in 1 Corinthians 10 to tell them that they were as harlots as was described in the Bible. <laughs> well, in 2017, Father, you can ask the person in the passenger seat to look up Aramean on Google. So, <laughs> okay. so maybe, okay. maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll That's work. up to you. You know, thank God, because I would have had you on my back the rest of my life if the Bible would have been produced in the Google era. Thank <laughs> God it was not. <laughs> People have to go to the Syrian desert or the pastor in Minnesota has to bring out the Syrian desert when he is preaching from the pulpit. And that's what you two should be doing in your podcasts. I have a very good friend who listens faithfully to the podcast and keeps telling me I should listen. I said, I don't want to listen, because if at some point I hear something I do not like, I may have another heart attack. <laughs> Don't listen, Father Paul. <laughs> anyway, friends. Father Paul, thank you so much for a great thank episode. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.